Welcome to The Ledge. My name is Chris Harper, and I'll be your host every week. Every Tuesday, I will interview an artist, developer, or creative mind from the Web3 space. I'll be getting up close and personal with my guests as we explore the emerging crypto art and NFT scene. It is my feeling, along with many others, that we are in a digital renaissance. The emergence of blockchain technology has revolutionized the way we look at ownership, provenance, and digital assets. It is my goal as your host to help shed light on these complex subjects, and even more so, the individuals behind it all who are carving out their place in history here on the ledge of Web3. like to welcome everyone to another episode of The Ledge. Today I'm interviewing artist Nick Denbor. He goes by the alias Smearballs. <laughs> how are you, Nick? Good. How are you doing? Good, man. Thanks for uh, coming on to The Ledge and talking to me about your, your art and your process, man. Hey, my pleasure. Yeah. You're from Canada? Yeah, I'm uh, in Toronto. And, uh, nice. It's sweet. So, yeah, so I guess you were... Uh, you were also at the Beeple uh, exhibition at the, were you in the, at the March one as well? Or do, what, do you, were you just at the one after in April? So actually, man, uh, it's funny you ask. I've been to all three. I went to the grand opening. I went oh, to the, way. to the second party that they had for like the local art museum here called the Gibbs art museum. And then I just went to a, like an open night they had, um, last Thursday. And, cool. uh, so we would have I, been there at the same time for the opening. Yeah, I think we were. And, you know, funny, I uh, was literally talking to Mike Beeple himself this last Thursday, and I mentioned to him that I was going to interview you this week, and he had a lot of great things to say about you. He said y'all were <laughs> friends and that you had helped him do some stuff, and he, he just raved about you, man. Yeah, man, yeah. he's a good buddy. Like, he, he used to, like, I mean, before you know, his whole career exploded with the with the NFT stuff, he was like you know, doing a, a lot of the like motion graphics uh, uh, conferences as a speaker and stuff like that. So he kind of wrote me into that and was like, you know, introducing me to all the people that were running these conferences and got me onto the speaking circuit with them doing these events. So he kind of like was always a good buddy and helped me out with that stuff. So it was kind of cool to watch all this stuff happen to him over the last few years. And it's cool it's that he opened that space and, uh, you know, brought his buddies in to have an art show. It was awesome. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you, man. It's so cool. And then, you know, I feel really lucky to be living so close to it because I get to, you know, kind of a front row seat to all this stuff that's happening. Yeah, I actually, sure. you know, the, the that's how I found out about you. The second show, I, I think I saw some of your stuff played at the first grand opening. I think you had you had some of your stuff played there. Yeah, yeah, but it didn't like click with me on the second event at the Gibbs Art Gallery event. I just caught it at the right moment, man, and I saw all your stuff just kind of scroll, you know, <laughs> through on the screens, and I was like, "Who is this artist, man? He's awesome!" <laughs> yeah, I love it, man. Like, I, I yeah, totally. Thanks, I was an man. instant yeah, kind of overloaded. <laughs> yeah, kind of overloaded the screens with putting way too much stuff on there. I thought maybe I should have put like fewer pieces, like spread out a bit more, but I just kind of like you know, through the whole gamut at it. <laughs> <laughs> I, whatever it was, it was kind of perfect from my perspective yeah. as just an observer. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me how, how old are you? And, um, are you from Canada? Did you grow up in Canada? Tell me a little bit about yeah, your life, I, lifestyle background. Where are you from? I grew up like, uh, first on a farm, kind of like a couple hours away from Toronto. And, uh, I moved to Toronto for art school in 1998 or 99, and uh, so I'm I'm 43, yes. and uh, yeah, so I went to art school for like a year, and I was like, this is not a viable career, so I <laughs> fucking dropped out after oh, yeah. like a you know second semester or something like right. that, right? And uh, then I just started like you know trying to make rent, you know, but I kept making art the whole time. I was always like. At that time, I was doing a lot of weird large scale uh, photo collage work and stuff like that, you know, making these eight foot tall mosaic collages with all kinds of like magazines and stuff like kind of, you know, always making distorted, weird characters and things like that. Okay. Using like four or five of the same magazines. So I'd have, I could stretch somebody's neck by using like a ton of the same neck from a fashion ad or something like that, making right. all these weird characters. So that was kind of my oh. initial 
art endeavor. But uh, but the whole time, so I kept doing that, having art shows with buddies that I met in Toronto. But I was, you know, painting houses and then building decks. And then it just kind of grew and grew into like doing major structural remediation and giant buildings in Toronto. And I became property manager of a uh, kind of condo that had been a factory got turned into a condo building. So I started doing all kinds of rentals there. And then I was building houses up north and building cottages for people. So I kind of turned into a 10-year construction company. (laughs) But at the same time, I was still doing artwork on the side. and And then YouTube came around. And I started making like funny remixes on YouTube and those kind of started gaining steam and I started getting jobs for my YouTube channel and that kind of like blended into a career in like advertising music videos and that kind of shit. So I kind of dropped the construction company around 2010 and uh, went full time into animation. Well, uh, I love that. Uh, I love that story about the construction, especially, I think I mentioned this to you when I wrote to you, but I'm in construction myself. I'm a full-time general contractor down here in Charleston, man. And, uh, you know, like I have this hobby of, you know, like, you know, I'm into the NFT world and Web3 and I love art, you know, so it's a hobby for me, but uh, yeah, I still make my living as a general contractor. It's cool for you that you were able to transition man. I miss it a little bit, like not doing things with my hands because I've got my like mouse settings so tight that I move my hand like a millimeter and that's like my exercise for the day. Like it's like nothing, you know what I mean? So it's like, and I tend to do long, you know, 12 plus hour days at the machine. So I'm like, you know, sometimes it's kind of nice to go do a project with your hands and get the satisfaction of like building stuff in the real world too, you know, like there's something that I miss about that. For sure. I, I, you know, and I do appreciate the opportunity that I have in my life to like be out in the world and, you know, and, you know, just totally. in nature a lot, <laughs> you know, yeah, where yeah. I work is like out on this really beautiful, like beach Island. It's called Kiowa Island, you know, so it's really oh, nice. Yes. Yeah, a nice place to be. That's cool. Were you artistic as a kid? You must've been if you decided to go to art school. Yeah, well, it was kind of a last ditch change. Like I, I was in high school taking all my maths and sciences, wanting to go be an engineer. And then last minute I was like, ah, fuck it, I'll go to art school. <laughs> like ditched it like literally last minute. So I kind of like did a U-turn there as well. But but yeah, I was always kind of messing around, making like my dad always had his old computers from like a, you know, 186 to a Pentium where I got his hand-me-downs and I would always yeah. like mess around with stuff like you know even having those old digital hand scanners where you drag it across the photo you know i would be like scanning weird stuff and bending it to make warp people and like you know early audio stuff on just a crappy microphone on a sound blaster 16 like in 1996 (laughs) or something you know like it just always was kind of messing around uh, ruining my dad's computers so it kind of uh turned into something later did you always have computers around as a as a child? Were you kind of like from that age? I mean, you're a little younger yeah. than me. You're eight or nine years younger than me. So, you know, I didn't have computers when I was a little kid. You know, we didn't like I was a sure. teenager before I really started. Studying. Yeah, I probably because I, I think I was, yeah I was probably in grade five or, or fifth grade. I guess you do Americans say. Right. Uh, but uh, my dad, yeah, my dad was a farmer. So and like you know came from Holland, very little, you know, no post-secondary education, just farmer from son of a farmer, son of a farmer for hundreds of years. And he just randomly somehow bought a 186 back in the day, like, you know, IBM compatible could play Frogger kind of computer to do his like bookkeeping. So that was his, all of a sudden he got hooked on computers because of that back in the, you know, early nineties or whenever the hell that would have been. Yeah. And uh, maybe the eighties. Yeah. No, early nineties probably. And then, yeah, so he just always kept up with computers and kept buying them. So that, that was my foot in the door. Had he not done that, I might not be here right now. Who knows? That's, yeah, that's probably very <laughs> These true. These things are <laughs> consequential, right? Everything. Do you remember the first thing you created that you could call art, like, in your life? Do you remember that? Uh, I guess I haven't really thought of Well, I mean, I was always drawing. Like, I... When I was a kid, I drew pictures like crazy. I actually had a banker's box of white paper that I burned through just drawing pictures, like literal whole banker's box, just sitting there on my desk drawing muscle dudes when I was in grade six or something like He-Man <laughs> and shit, you know? Yeah. So like, I kind of like started early with that, just drawing, like I was constantly drawing pictures. So that's definitely where it all started. 
people mentioned to me that you worked for uh, Conan O'Brien or something. Did you yeah, that so that was kind of like uh, early on-ish. I guess that was probably around 2011 or 2012 to 2015. Uh, but yeah, I had been doing like a lot of like, you know, remixy popular culture stuff on YouTube. And I, I got I landed this uh, web series because when, when YouTube was throwing around money because they're like, okay, our content sucks. We got to throw some money at some professional content to like, Right. You know, so that, I think they were throwing some millions around. And, and this production company in the U.S. in San Francisco called Mondo Media, they made a cartoon called Happy Tree Friends. It was okay. popular a long time ago. Okay. It's kind of like an itchy and scratchy-ish, like violent cartoon series. Right. But right. Uh, they got some of this YouTube uh, seed money. So I pitched them a show that was like during the Mitt Romney-Obama election, where I would take the week of news and boil it down into a musical, like two-minute uh, web webisode. So I was doing like green screening, you know, bodies onto politicians and making musical two minute piece out of it. And I got that was on YouTube. And uh, the producer at Conan saw it at, at Team Coco, this guy named John Wooden saw it and was like, Hey, man, you want I was wondering if you want to, you know, pitch some stuff for, you know, Team Coco. And I was like, fucking right, man. So I started making all these videos and sending it to him, remixing Conan. And then I also did some like pop culture stuff. Like I put my uh, Brad Pitt's head on my body for this like Chanel ad. So I'm like all out of shape. And he's like, you know, so I sent that to him and he took that because I was just doing stuff for the website originally. Right. And he took it over to Conan, this video I made. And he's like, yo, my guy made this, you know, and Conan was like, yeah, let's put it on the air tonight. So he like brought it to rehearsal. Wow. He, you know, did a little spiel. And all of a sudden I was like, holy shit, my thing's on TV, you know? So I, I had this fucked up back door onto that show. <laughs> where all of a sudden I was, I just took it as an opportunity. I'm like, I'm going to pump out like four or five videos a week, send them right. to these guys and like see what sticks. And I was getting something like two, three videos in the monologue a week for like the first <laughs> year or something. But it kind of, cause I was able to just do it in my studio. Right. I had a green screen next to me. I would shoot myself on my little, you know, crappy camcorder, green screen, something, edit it, throw it in, throw it at them before noon Toronto yeah. time. They're just getting to the office at 9 a.m. And they're sitting there in the writer's room. All the writers are pitching ideas that they have to get approved by the head writer. Then they got to go shoot it with the shooting crew. Then an editor needs to edit it. And then they got to do VFX on it. And it's a huge pain in the ass. It takes all day when I'm, I'm like, I have it done already. So it kind of, it kind of like that whole unionized, segregated cogwheel machine that they had in late night was really not very efficient compared to somebody who had the skills to like just do the whole thing right so i was like it was great but then all of a sudden the writers were getting kind of pissed because i was cock blocking them out of the monologue over and over oh, again so yeah. then all of a sudden everything changed and i had to like pitch my stuff through the head writer and like you know compete with these other guys so but then i was just like fuck it i'm just gonna go even harder and i like just pushed even more and then i i established like a bunch of like regular bits that were going on. Like I took Alex Trebek from Jeopardy and I was always like cutting up his words because it was, <laughs> I had a giant premiere project with like every, him saying every animal, every celebrity, and I could just mix and match subject and predicate from sentences and just make any, make him say anything. It was like a soundboard. Yeah. So I, I had that as a regular bit I could fall back on and throw out once a week. And I, I had established all these kind of like little things I could do. How do you dream this stuff up, man? How do you, I mean, your, uh, your stuff's so like kind of, it's a little like absurd and surreal and <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know. It's really, yeah, it's very cool. Like, how do you dream that stuff up, man? <laughs> I don't know, man. A lot of it is kind of technical to tell you the truth. Like I'll learn a new skill in 3d software and be like, Oh wow, I can make uh, an object melt now and then light on fire and turn into something else. And then it just spawns the idea just because of the technical ability, you know? Right. So some of it's that and others, it's just, you know, you're taking a dump and you think of something and it's just funny. <laughs> I love it. I don't know. Talk to me about the thing with the, the Tommy Lee one that you, that I saw. On, yeah. So, on so Tommy, yeah. I, I met Tom cause I, I do a lot of work with uh, dead mouse. So I met Tommy years ago at dead mouse's wedding. Okay. briefly like he was at this thing and it was hilarious meeting that guy but i don't even know if he remembered me but like years later he was posting my videos on his instagram all the time so i was oh, like wow. i was like i don't even know if he's checking his dms or if it's some you know management company that's like sure, you know, sure. acting yeah. as him. 
But I, you know, I threw a message at him. I'm like, hey, dude, like, thanks for posting my videos. You know, I was getting a lot of hits and subscribers off it. So I was like, if you ever want to do a uh, collabo, let me know. We'll make a crazy ass video of you. And he's he hit me back right away. He's like, dude, I'm so fucking down. Let's do this. You know, so I'm like, <laughs> all right, cool. So I pitched him like, you know, trashing a whole bunch of Tommies, trashing a hotel room like Motley Crue is famous for back in the 80s. You know, like those guys legit had that in the rider where they were, you know, gonna total a hotel room and throw shit out the window and they would just pay for it and you know it was just the 80s ridiculous so i pitched him that and he was like yeah that's awesome man so he he was coming that summer because they were playing a gig in toronto motley Crue was on tour again so uh dead mouse is having a big party in the summertime he like drove his tour bus right on joel's lawn and like having <laughs> this huge party and he like there's like you know four or five hundred people at this party he comes out at like two in the afternoon i think he's had a bunch to drink already he's like kind of like you know sauntering around in like a pair of happy face slippers and like a little t-shirt and everyone's just like who is this guy man like he's just you know on the party right away and so i go up to him and he's sitting there at this table with two like 80 something year old ladies and he's just hitting on him he's like you're so fucking hot you know and they're just like, <laughs> guy, man he's like a cartoon but I, I grabbed him and like I went, took him behind a food truck and got him to take his shirt off. And I started taking pictures like with a burst shot with my phone so I could, you know, you get yeah, like yeah. a pretty yeah. But, you know, he had a few drinks in him. So he's like kind of like, you know, <laughs> waving around. I'm like, stand still, dude. Like, <laughs> oh my but he was God. so funny to work with, man. Like the guy's awesome. So, yeah, I got, I got a pretty decent like, you know, photo set of all his tattoos that I could then project onto a 3d model and i got the good reference shots of his head so i was able to kind of recreate him in 3d oh and then God. uh i wasn't he, you know i didn't have access to him after that because he was on tour so i actually right. got a buddy who's a drummer to go in my mocap suit and like mimic his drumming and i did a whole bunch of like mocap myself to like do all the character animation and yeah it was fun and then i i kind of did it just to a, a click track i was like let's just figure out a BPM and you can sort out the music later, you know? So I just animated the whole thing to a click track, sent it to him. And he was like, holy shit, dude. And he like, in a weekend, he turned around that music track with a, you know, with his team in his studio. And he just like hit me with this track. And I'm like, dude, that works fucking perfect. Like he, he nailed it. So That's it worked amazing. out great. I yeah. mean, he is a real artist, man. I, you know, I, you're, 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 you're hitting on all cylinders with me, man. You know, that guy in Motley Crue was like my childhood heroes. man. I grew up listening to <laughs> yeah, them. Yeah. One of their concerts. Hey, I even have a Motley Crue tattoo on me, man. Oh like, no way! Oh yeah, dude. <laughs> well, dude, I bought fucking I bought Doctor Feelgood on Columbia House when I was a kid, and I think my mom took it away from me because she was like, you know, that's the devil's music. Oh yeah. <laughs> I see Alan chiming in too, man. He's a, probably a big Motley Crue fan as well. <laughs> yeah, man. But he's awesome. He's su super nice dude. And like, he was great to work with and like everything, just positivity, man. Like everything. He's just, you know, he's in. let's it. stay on this video for just a minute. I'm kind of interested. So, I mean, I'm sure that throughout your career, you've learned a lot of different programs and hardwares and different versions of you know, the way you create stuff, but like for this video exit, for example, you just yeah. said a lot of things that were way over my head. Can you kind of just talk me through like the hardware, the software, how the process, like how it works to create something like that? Yeah. So like the, I use uh, a software suite for uh, character creation called Reillusion. Okay. Uh, Reillusion has like an animation software called iClone and then uh Character Creator 4 is like their character creation software where you can kind of take a photo and it'll make generate a 3D model that's kind of close, but it's got sliders for like the nose, the nostril width, the eyebrow height, like every, it's got a million sliders to kind of bang your model into whatever shape you want. It's very malleable. So wow. I use that to kind of create Tommy and I took the scan that I made of his head that was really crude and I imported it so I could kind of match his facial features and stuff like that. Yeah. So that's kind of my go-to for character creation. And now you've got like MetaHuman and other, you know, things coming up as well. So I don't know how long I'll be using this one, but for now it's okay. been a good, yeah. Yeah. good way to get a rigged 3D model ready to animate without having to do any custom rigging, you know? So then that bounces into iClone and iClone, I can use my, I have a Rococo uh, motion capture suit okay. that uh, is basically, it just works on Wi-Fi. There's no tracking devices it's just wi-fi and it tracks you know relative to itself so you just wear the suit you're completely free roaming and you can do 
whatever animation capture you want on your own. I just jump into my suit. I do the action I want and I got it on my computer in 15 minutes, you know, like it's super fast and time saver like crazy. So yeah, I do, I do that for the, uh, kind of motion capture and I use iClone to kind of clean it up because no, it's not always perfect. Sometimes your handle intersect with your head and you have to like fix stuff. So I do all that in iClone. And then uh, Cinema 4D is like my main, you know, where all the scene comes together, where all the character animation gets tweaked and where all the, you know, uh, scene building happens in the 3D, you know, environments and whatnot. Right. And then that's also, and then I render out of Octane Render. So that's kind of the the my render of choice i just like the look of it and i've been using it for years so why change it and it all sounds like very professional grade stuff yeah it's it's expensive i look at my like annual software costs nowadays because everything's subscription and it's just they just gouge you like crazy and even companies now that used to not be subscription it's like oh yeah you can't use that version on this version of software you have to buy it again and it's just like man it's just thousands of dollars every year when it used to be like oh i get a I could buy Adobe for 300 bucks and have that for four years. It's now it's like thousand bucks plus like there's eight other ones that I use. So it definitely adds up, but there's certain software like, like cinema 4d kind of does it all just as blender does, but it also sucks compared to other software at certain things. Like, so like I, for soft body simulations, like, you know, the floppy dicks on Tommy's helmet or like the, the inflating clown that sucks the uh, nitrous, you know, like those, right. Uh, those things are easier to do or better to do in Houdini where you've got these cool like simulation uh, programs within it that let you do like cool, you know, half a body will explode or like, you know, all all kinds of really fun simulations, but that stuff's really time consuming as well. So I kind of bounce into Houdini for that, bring the asset back into Cinema 4D and render it out. So there's a lot of software going on in those vids. I, I can't imagine. Like, uh, I mean, you sound like you probably forgot more about this stuff than a lot of people will ever know. <laughs> I'm sure you have. Yeah, but and also like it's it's changing so fast. Like, I know kids that are right. trying to learn this stuff in school, and a lot of the time you go to like a reputable university or college that that has a teacher that hasn't been in the game for ten years trying to teach this stuff, and it's like, how do you keep up with it? Like, I do this full time all the time. Yeah. And I'm keeping up with it. And I find that now the schools that are teaching this stuff most effectively are like schools like School of Motion Online, which is an online course who's using teachers that are, that are doing it right now and know all the, you know, super current tricks and applications. And I, I feel like that's a better education than a lot of schools. Interesting. Which is weird. But it's that's the kind of thing that's... But you're also talking to a guy who dropped out of school and learned everything off YouTube. So it's kind of, I don't have too much respect for the institutions in this. I don't either, man. I mean, you know, I'm I'm a self-taught everything. I saw that, you know, I dropped out. I did all that, man. I, you know, I don't have a university degree from anywhere. Sure. But all the info's out there, like everything you would ever want to learn. Someone, you know, there's all these free, you know resources it's awesome that there's so many people passionate about it that make their youtube channels their life of just helping people learn this stuff you know it's incredible what you can learn off of youtube man I, mm-hmm. i've been teaching myself how to use procreate for like the last couple of months man. oh nice i really uh-huh. enjoy it yeah and i'm not really an artist i just like enjoy learning stuff yeah know? it's fun you know? man. yeah yeah but it's constant uh, bounce between softwares you know it's always kind of been like that yeah. even with my early remix work i did a lot of musical remix stuff where it'd be like i'm finding a hook with some you know audio clip from a video clip in premiere and i'm bouncing that into cubase to do some music and i'm bouncing it back into premiere and then i'm adding layer vfx and after effects and it's so it's always even when i was doing 2d video stuff i was bouncing between all this different software and then now it's just gotten kind of absurd with all the 3d stuff so it's and you're a musician yeah. as well, yeah. Yeah, I do all the music for my animations and uh and I see whatnot, the guitar so behind yeah. you. <laughs> yeah, that's that's kind of the fun part. After doing like a month of grueling animation on something, it's just fun to just, you know, polish it off and make some music for a couple of days. That's like that what I look forward to at the end of a project. Yeah. How do you earn a living? What do you do to make money? Uh, yeah, well, so kind of after the Conan gig, cause that was pretty all encompassing for a few years, uh-huh. I started, I kind of took some time off to make a short film called the, the chickening. It was kind of a proof of concept where we took the shining yeah, and we were pitching to Warner brothers to do like a TV show where we took all their old, you know, classic film library and turned them into like a new thing. So we took like the shining and we turned it into a comedy 
where the, you know, the Overlook Hotel was this uh, poultry themed resort and Jack Nicholson was, you know, taking up a job as a night manager at this chicken place. And so we made this hilarious, ridiculous thing with all these characters layered onto the like mouths, clutch cargo style over the top of other characters and all this stuff. And that kind of like uh, blew up and I got into Sundance and all these film festivals. So I kind of toured around with that. And then these guys in Portland saw it that worked at Wyden and Kennedy. They, uh, they were like, we got to hire this guy to do some, you know, KFC stuff. Cause they had the KFC contracts. All of a sudden I was doing old spice and KFC ads with those guys. And that kind of launched into a whole wow. advertising career for a bunch of years. Nice. And then, uh, so I still do a lot of ad work and uh, a lot of music videos. Like I said, I work with dead mouse, you know, Tommy Lee, whatever else. So we, I, yeah. I make a lot of music videos with different artists and tour visuals. Nice. Oh, wow. So that's kind of the bread and butter, but I always try and carve out time to do my own projects in between. Cause uh, you know, that's where the fun's at. Do you have a studio or do you just work from home? Or yeah, what do you do? I've got, uh, this used to be my construction workshop. I've got this building right here. I'm in which the top floor, it's a couple thousand square feet. The top floor is all office now and downstairs is still my workshop slash jam space. So it's like this nice. workshop building that I've kind of had for the last uh, almost 20 years, 19 years. Yeah. Do you do anything in the physical realm in the art world or is it all digital? Uh, nowadays, pretty, pretty much digital. I mean, yeah. I built a video wall in my jam room downstairs. So I bought these like six like Samsung panels to create this huge video wall. That's kind of like an installation piece I've been building content for. So that's sort wow. of physical, but also, you know, digital. But yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's a little thing. I've sort of like on. sort of like Beeple's place. Yeah, except like one one hundredth the size or something. <laughs> <laughs> Still, that's pretty cool, man. What yeah, got you into cool. the like NFT space? Uh, probably Mike. I mean, I I had some people hit me up before it was a thing, like being, "Yo, you should get into this," and I was just kind of like, "Eh," you know, didn't think anything of it. Like it just right. seemed like a waste of time at the time. And then obviously, when Mike's stuff blew up, I was like, "Holy shit, I should get in on this!" So I jumped on it and. Uh, Actually, I think Gavin Shapiro, who is in on your uh, podcast as well. Yeah, he, yeah, uh, yeah. He's a great guy, and he kind of introduced me to the guys at Super Rare, and they got me in kind of early on when yeah. stuff was uh, rolling into high gear. And uh, so I kind of set out to make you know, a bunch of uh, pieces there where I also paired them all with physical. So I, I gave prints with everybody. Every first buyer was uh, who bought my NFTs, and I also gave them – uh, you know, heart and laser engraved uh, hard drive with a better quality version, like 4K masters of everything in ProRes. Wow. So every everybody who bought one of my NFTs, the first owner got like a quality that's not online plus a signed one of one print. I didn't even keep a print for myself. Like they, they got the only copy. So that was kind of like my little special thing to add to the pie nice. there. So, nice. Yeah. And then yeah. also, you know, uh, Dead Mouse and I did a big project for his uh, fans as well, uh, called Head Heads or Head Five, and uh, yeah, that one. Is he in awesome. NFTs? He get into that? So they get. Into uh, he that? he was in in you know during the the hype, just like most people when it died off. I think you know most a lot of people died off with it, but but his project's still going. Like like owners of of the heads get free tickets if you're involved in the community like you get free tickets all the time to all the shows so it's kind of oh. a actual utility project there that's been rewarding the he's know, not the hard. only uh artist that's gotten involved in nfts eminem snoop dogg um, oh, sure, yeah. leon you know just to name a few that i can think of you know yeah yeah. Of, yeah so several of them that are picking that up i think it's a great idea yeah it's a cool project especially to kind of you know reward the owners and give it some value yeah, but, I've been uh, kind of waiting to see what's going to happen with like the whole ticketing thing, you know, because NFTs can be like, you know, it'll just completely end the counterfeit ticket business. Yeah, <laughs> but the problem is, is just that the unless Ticketmaster or something like jumps on NFTs, it's just like they've got such a crazy monopoly with the venues right. that it's just, you know, like Live Nation, the whole it's just a giant, you know. Yeah. closed door ecosystem <laughs> so yeah it'll be sure. yeah i mean great for if sure. like an artist can do that but it's like good luck playing like uh you know massive stadium in some city without using those uh ticketing uh systems that are already in place <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
What was the first thing you, you minted? Do you remember what your first like? Yeah, Genesis it was like was? Uh, the first thing I had on Super Rare. It was like this, uh, you know, guy in a speedo with a Chihuahua head strutting around, and he steps in some dog shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and some kid from France bought it, like you know, that week, and I was like, "Holy shit, this is going!" So uh, yeah, I just start. I actually stopped taking jobs for like most of that year just to pump out work, and you know. Throw that's it on pretty, super rare. So yeah, that's pretty incredible. Did you have like, uh, did you have any relationship with your collector base at all? I mean, did you like? Yeah, you I know? ended up talking to all of them, like you know, on the side. I got you, and uh, you know, contacting them to get their mailing address and send them their prints and stuff like that. That's kind of why I was like, in the beginning, I was like, does this even need to be on the blockchain? Do we need nuclear power, nuclear football level security on like a piece of art that's a few grand, you know? And of course. It's it's one of those things I, I started thinking like can't we just have some kind of two FA? I already talked to all my collectors. We have a relationship. We can I can be like, yo, we can you know key this up without a blockchain. But I guess just for it to be global and you know marketable, it is pretty important. But at the beginning, I was like, that wow, this is like you know an actual interaction you have with your collector. It, it's very personal, and I think a lot of people appreciate that and that they can talk to the artist and you know be part of I think that's all true and I think the other thing is to think about it on a longer timeline that's you know beyond your lifespan yeah (laughs) that's true too yeah Yeah. without having a you know a state that deals with your artwork after you're dead (laughs) yeah that's a good point yeah but yeah it's pretty cool cool if you had like an Andy Warhol NFT or something you know (laughs) yeah yeah sure I mean that'd be really cool man (laughs) yeah but I don't know it's just like right now it's just such a weird time with the AI stuff going on and like the, the digital still image in a lot of ways is kind of toast. Like now anyone with no talent can make a kick-ass piece that looks cool like a people piece or anybody else's 3D render, yeah. you know what I mean? So yeah. I've always just, all my NFTs are always animations anyway, but I feel like the still image is kind of worthless in a lot of ways. And animation's coming too. Like you got these, you know, animation softwares that are streamlining it. So it's going to be pretty soon where you really don't need any talent to make some pretty kick-ass visual art. So I'm kind of like a lot of people are stressing like, oh my God, now all these skills I've learned are kind of useless. But, you know, you got to now take these tools and make something even better, like build on them. Like you need to now take these like, you know, generation, like generate 3D models, generate textures, generate all this stuff to make something way better than you could make three years ago you know like i feel like the bar is raised now it's funny you mentioned that i just read a thread on twitter over the weekend about this very like concept that like the artwork that's on chain from 2017 to 2023 is going to be looked at as like a pretty special time period of art because it's like all on chain and it's pre-ai you know, and now everything yeah, yeah. from here and forward, me. it's all AI, <laughs> you know, yeah. so you don't even really know, you know, like, is this real? Is it not real? Photoshop yeah. just dropped that like Firefly thing, that generative. Unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. But I think yeah. also like the same way that like, uh, you know, CNC machine uh, didn't make people not carve things anymore. It's like there will still be like these kind of handmade animations and things like that in other ways uh, that will, you know, obviously when people know how you made it. Yeah. And I think it's it's all about fi- filling those gaps, finding things that you can do that the AI can't. Like that's where the impressive stuff's going to be. Because I don't know how many times I've seen a piece of art now. And then as soon as I learn it's AI, I just I get deflated and I'm like, oh, oh, that was AI. Whatever. Fuck. Turn the page. <laughs> You know what I mean? But if it's like, if yeah. you think someone made that thing and you're like, wow, somebody actually modeled that and like, you know, animated that. It's like, oh my God, that's amazing. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh no, the machine did it. And it's like, oh fuck, <laughs> no, who cares? Well, it's- you know, you look at like a program like Procreate um, and this is just something interesting that I noticed in Procreate recently is that um, there's actually a, a little section in Procreate where you can go back and it'll show you a time lapse of what you just did. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So, like, if you drew it, it'll show that you drew it. If you yeah. copied and pasted it from your, you know, <laughs> mid-journey, it'll hey, show you. Like you, you could probably, <laughs> you probably train, train an AI to do that, too, and do, like, a time lapse of what it made, you know, eventually. Uh, probably. But. I mean, you know. <laughs> well, I just, but what it just really kind of makes you wonder where the NFT thing will go, What what is valuable now. 
because it's just like these AIs, once it's trained on something, it can literally spit out hundreds of thousands of images in an hour. Like it's just yeah. kind of like, what yeah. is the value of a still image? Are we, uh, are the servers of the world, you know, just going to get flooded with so much that we can't even deal with it anymore? Like what's, uh, I guess the purpose of minting becomes more important as some kind of a verified piece of human made artwork at some point as well. But speaking of people, I, I, when I had an opportunity to speak to him the other day, I did ask Mike, I said, what's the deal with the AI porn? (laughs) (laughs) You see that at the grand opening? Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) That's pretty funny. That was pretty crazy, man. (laughs) Well, I made that, uh, you know, the baby one with the floating babies in the cube. Yeah. So he told me that that I wanted to talk to you about that actually, man. Um, yeah, these cubes are freaking amazing, man. Like, I guess Human One was probably the first one that he created. Yeah, yeah. And I think his brother uh, plays a big part in that. He's like an engineer that used to work at Boeing, right? And he now he works with yeah. Mike, like making yeah. all the stuff. So I think he yeah. helped kind of cook that up. He's a cool guy. Yeah, actually, yeah, you know, something. yeah, I think it was Scott, actually, who I was talking to was explaining that to me. And he did tell me that uh, you helped build that cube. Yeah, well, I did the content on it. I didn't, uh, you know, help build that one per se. But it was, yeah, I, I made the simulation of the baby squishing around, you know. Mike asked me to <laughs> do that for him. And I was like, yeah, sure, man. So we worked wow, together on that. What happens with that thing? Does that just sit in that gallery or is that for sale or what is it? I'm sure it's for sale. If not sold, I believe it was already sold when we were making it. Like, oh, wow. <laughs> so he's filling an order when we did that. So yeah, I don't know where, where it lives. I think human one was touring around or something going to galleries around the world. So I don't know if he's doing that with his other ones. I, I imagine people are hitting him up to do shows all around the world. So I hope it, you know, makes the rounds. Human one was in Tokyo. The last time I think i yeah yeah noticed where it was in the world but uh you know you can look at it on on like open sea you can see you know you can just watch it and it's transforming you know yeah (laughs) (laughs) that's pretty crazy what was the inspiration behind the babies did did mike give you that inspiration Uh, or did you come up with it or no that was mike man i was just i was a button pusher for that just hitting and creating it for him from his uh his idea he comes up with the idea of make a Box full of squishy embryonic. Make a bunch of babies slosh around in this box. Yeah, no problem. I have some pretty good videos of that thing, actually, man. I (laughs) I stood there and like videotaped that box for quite a while. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty. Yeah, it's very interesting. (laughs) Yeah, for the for the listeners who don't know, it's like actually like a the box spins around on a motor. And right. the video projection, it's not a projection, but it's like virtual project projection. It's a bunch of TVs on a cube that spin around, but it kind of compensates for the rotation. So it looks like the babies are actually spin- sloshing around in this spinning <laughs> glass cube. That's pretty interesting, man. I like the, the videos that you had on display at... Um at um the grand opening the one with the like the contractors that was kind of like a pair yeah of yeah contract that guys going down the stairs you know guy with the nail gun yeah, you, would, uh, you would like that one being in your field <laughs> i actually took it off of youtube and i sent it to my entire crew and i was like this reminds oh, yeah. me, this reminds me of you suckers <laughs> yeah so that was actually a contest uh for rococo the people that make the uh mocap suit yeah. So they kind of like they had a contest that was open to the public, and then they had another contest for like their sponsored like artists, pro pro artists that they had. So right. I was up against a pretty stiff competition, but I spent a whole month on that video. You know, like every day pumping out a new character, and and spent like a week just building that environment. You know, it was all yeah. sixteen inch centers, everything's to code. <laughs> but the uh, but yeah, so I built that thing. Uh, you know, in the first week, and then started doing the character animation. And then, yeah, I, I submitted it, did all the mocap myself. You know, that's all me in the mocap suit puppeting those characters. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I, I actually ended up winning the contest. The four judges uh, picked uh, picked my piece, and it was great. But it was, like, the same week that I cracked one of my teeth in half, oh. and I had, to get a, I had to get a new tooth drilled into my skull. Uh. And it cost me, like, it cost me literally six G's, and then I yeah, got I won the I won the prize, and it was also six G's, like in the <laughs> same week. So it was like that video paid for my tooth. 
So I have, yeah, I have tooth implants. Met. Yeah, tooth implants. Yeah, you're in Canada. My implant is tied to that construction video, so I'll be grateful. <laughs> I had the same thing, man. And in the U.S., it's seven Gs, but I think that's oh, probably yeah. about six G Canadian. I think it's yeah, yeah. Point. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, the other way around. Seven Gs, like eight, nine grand Canadian. Yeah, right. <laughs> Ten. Yeah, it's great. It's like a buck thirty-six now. It's crazy. What are you? Uh, what are you creating right now? Right now, I'm doing some tour visuals for the artist Oliver Tree. Do you know who he is? I do. Yeah, yeah. So he's uh, he's got some pretty hilarious music videos, and he's pretty popular these days. So yeah, yeah. Nice. We kind of also hooked up on Instagram, and uh, yeah, I'm doing a bunch of tour visuals for him. Starting, it's kind of sucks because I got like two weeks left to do way like four weeks of work. So I'm about to turn it up into high gear here. Oh, here Finish it up. How do you, how do you, how do you keep yourself focused, man? I mean, that's, I, 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 you know, I'm a contractor, but I end up spending a lot of my time in a computer, like doing emails and writing estimates and da, 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 you know, like just being in a computer is exhausting. Yeah. I, I don't really have a problem staying focused. I can do this for ridiculous amount of hours, which is yeah. kind of not healthy. Cause I like, you know. Yeah. get up and I'm like, oh my God, I haven't drank water in four hours or something, you know, like it's just like I get in the zone and I forget about the world. Like, yeah. so <clears throat> I wouldn't say focus is my problem. It's more of a detriment. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. You mentioned Gavin, you mentioned Gavin Shapiro, uh, who, who you, who was in fact a guest on here and a really great guy. I liked really enjoy talking to him. Do you yeah, have relationships nice. with other like NFT people or are you like involved with other people? Uh, yeah. I mean, I know a lot of artists that, uh, that got into it in various levels of, you know, success. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of all over the place. But yeah, a lot of my buddies. I did a project with this guy, Young Gun Motion, uh, named Joe Pascal. He's a good buddy of mine, also my neighbor here in Toronto. And uh, right. he does some cool stuff. So we did a project together called Grungibles, which is kind of like the uh, garbage bale kids or whatever, the, uh, you know, the old trading cards. And we made these like ridiculous, gross characters. And we had a little art show with Bright Moments down in LA. Oh, nice. And, you got uh, involved with Bright Moments. Yeah, yeah. It was kind of cool. We did a fun little project down there and of course you know meeting tons of different artists down on uh down at people's show there in charleston too there's bazillion people there that were all involved in the space so yeah Yeah, i mean everyone everyone's i know in you know the 3d art world at least tried or dabbled in it but yeah some people it was you know a bit of a lottery there was a lot of garbage art that sold for way too much money and a lot of great artists that didn't sell shit it was you know yeah yeah it was a rando did you, did you, have you done anything like, uh, any of the NFT events around like NFT New York or. Yeah, uh, I did. Or... I went to NFT NYC because that's where we launched our dead mouse project back okay. in 2021 or 2022, I guess. I don't nice. know. I forget when it was, but yeah, we went to, went there and that was also at our Basel. Yeah. Uh, Cause I did, a, I had a piece with super chief at uh, scope. Oh yeah. In, uh, in Miami. So I went down there for that and, right uh, yeah. Yeah, that's cool. But other than that, I haven't been to too many. In the last while, I got busy with work again. So, are you still pretty? Yeah. Are you still like like committed to pumping out art and the and on chain? Like, are you still doing that? Yeah, I mean, my I have a couple pieces on like the Tommy Lee ones didn't sell on Super Rare because things have just completely died out. So I'm I get not, it. Man. Yeah, it's a weird time. Not jumping you. at like you know. But I said I started the year. In January, I was like, you know what? Fuck everything. I didn't feel like doing client work until, well, this Oliver Tree gig came up. So I was like, ah, I'll do that because that's going to be fun. But yeah, I was kind of like, eh, I'm going to hold off on releasing any NFTs. I'm going to actually, I wanted to get back in the film festival circuit. I wanted to try and, you know, get back into TIFF and Sundance with a short film. So I started doing that in January and I'm about two months deep into it. And I'm about, as soon as I'm get done this job in a couple of weeks, I'm going to get back on that. Nice. And the idea is to kind of go to festival with a short and uh, see if I can make a splash with it. And I made it, I'm designing it kind of modular so I can make it as long as I want and also cut it into chunks. So right. if there's a way to co-fund it by selling it off as NFTs, that could be uh, a cool way to produce a film. So I might, I might do that. That's kind of the low key plan on it. But uh, yeah, I'm just making it. So each scene is a standalone, but it also strings together in a longer piece. So it can, can be chopped up. 
there's some people that are doing like uh, NFT, you know, fundraising for movies. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like one jumps to my mind is that uh, Julie Pacino. Oh, yeah, I'm not familiar. Yeah, she's currently shooting a movie. Cool. What, what about crypto, man? Do you have any crypto like background? Do you were you into Bitcoin? Uh, I I got in in 2016 or 17 before that big pump cycle. Uh-huh. So I, I bought in a little bit of Bitcoin here in Canada on this exchange called Quadriga, where that blew up and like disappeared. Uh-huh. So luckily, I got my crypto off of that before it like oh man <laughs> honked out. But there's actually a Netflix documentary on this Quadriga thing, which is there's a weird conspiracy theory that this guy faked his death and stole everyone's money or something. But it's I like saw that man, yeah, 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 yeah. I remember that. Yeah, I did. He got yeah. plastic surgery and changed his like face. And I'm like, All right, whatever. <laughs> I got he's my got money like a off there. Right? Dollars, if he does, he's probably you know. <laughs> I know a lot of people got fucked by that man. Like, it was crazy. So that was kind of my foot, and I didn't throw a ton of cash in, but I I just kind of got my foot in the water back then, and you know, after the NFT stuff, uh, still still have some feet in the water. <laughs> how do you how do you price your stuff? Well, it's funny because I price it on how much time it took me, man. Like, yeah, I had some collector dogging me because I, I put a piece up that took me a day and right. I sold it for whatever, one or two ETH. I was like, that's great for a day's work. That's awesome. Right. I'm happy right. I sell it. And he was like, why are you selling your stuff less than what I bought your piece for? And I'm like, dude, the one you bought me took like 34 days. Like, I'm not <laughs> selling one that took me an afternoon the same as it took to sell yours, you know? But it's like, I'm, and I'm also like, fuck off. Like, yeah, you bought my shit, but don't tell me how to, you know. <laughs> what to sell it for you know like not to be a dick to a guy who gave me a bunch of money for one of my pieces but i'm just like dude it's like i price it by how much effort i had to put into it like you know actually, like it's, actually it's the same answer i get from literally every artist that i talk to i mean everybody yeah. i ask i always ask people that question when i interview them and pretty much everybody gives me the same answer and that's you know you know yeah it's like the, the tommy lee way. piece took like you know probably six weeks or something like that it's just like it's a lot of work. That's a lot of time. Like that. A lot of yeah. time. And it's just like, I don't know. And I got to split the money with him because he made the music. So it's not like I am I can sell it super cheap, you know, and have us yeah. both be happy about that. So, I mean, it depends on a lot of factors, but mostly it's a time suck. Yeah. Have you followed this like royalties debate at all? Like with the artist royalties getting paid? A little bit. Like after OpenSea was, uh, you know, yeah. noodling yeah. with getting rid of it. I always felt like, I mean, there was always a big hole there anyway, because people can make a deal on the side and avoid a super royalty by selling it to somebody and just being like, okay, I'll transfer it to you once you give me the cash. If you trust the artist and not rip you off, like you can avoid paying all these fees on all these platforms. So it's kind of like, unless you make it so you can't transfer a piece on a platform, like it's just kind of hard to... (laughs) enforce that without giving a cut to whoever but yeah as far as an artist royalty goes that's also something you can skirt to to a degree you know like somebody can be like okay we'll buy it on on chain on platform for like 0.001 eth and then i'll chuck you 10 eth on the side and we'll you know not pay any royalties like it's something that jerk collectors could get around no matter what so yeah that's it's true just something i just feel hasn't been solved properly unless everyone's a good actor so it's it's always going to be messed with yeah i think uh you know I, I think there's a lot of people out there that have like really good intentions with it and then you know there's always going to be people who want to like cheat <laughs> you yeah. know and I guess if you want to cheat, there's always going to be a way to probably do it. I mean, you can always yeah. do But yeah, I'm all for royalties. It's cool. Like, it's great if it works and people want to, you know, throw a bone to the artist. It's awesome. What about, um, like, the other uh, thing where, like, all, the, all these, like, NFT artists, like, you're such as yourself, crypto artists have um, things that come with different utilities. You, you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean... I think, like I said, with the Dead Mouse project, it's like, I think it's cool. And, yeah, you know, I'd like to reward my collectors with something down the road, too. When, especially if my film comes out to, like, give everyone a small piece of that who's collected my stuff. It would be kind of cool. So I'm, yeah. like, keeping that around. I think it's good to reward your collectors for buying your stuff. It's cool. Dude, I got an idea for you. I was um, playing around with Chat GPT the other day, and I told it to start writing. I was making it write rap battles from, like, historical figures. 
<laughs> you should do something like that, man. Rap battles with like crazy ones. <laughs> <laughs> you can have like yeah. Hitler and Jesus or, you know. Freaking... <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm starting to get into crazy, some, um, <laughs> I'm starting to get into more dialogue stuff because I've got this like, uh, that iClone software I use also has like a face puppeting thing you can do with the iPhone where it actually uses the infrared camera and tracks your face. So you can do facial mocap. Yeah. So I'm starting to get into a little more dialogue driven stuff now. <laughs> there's uh there's so many things you can do. Do you, so we, t- we touched on the AI thing. Do you see yourself ever using AI to help you? And I use it for all kinds of stuff, like generating textures, generating tattoos for my characters. Wow. Uh, generating, uh, you know, different uh, motion capture stuff now is AI. Like you can use just video for motion capture. There's like, yeah, a million applications for it. And now obviously the Photoshop thing, if I need to do some matte painting, I'm already using that to right. you know, clean up or extend a frame or, you know, so it's seeped into everything. But also like AI tools have been around forever. Like After Effects has had Roto Brush, which I consider a pretty advanced, somewhat trained AI application. Yeah. And it still yeah. kind of sucks, but there's better <laughs> ones coming out now. But it's like, yeah, this stuff's kind of been around forever in one form or another. I think a lot of people think AI and it's like this, you know, new self-aware thing. But all it is is like, you know, really well-trained programming, like really well specifically, uh, you know, aimed, uh, trained programming. Some using uh, deep learning models, some not. Like it's just there's there's a pretty wide variety of these AI applications, but... I was playing around with the chat version of it and trying to like um, just playing around with like write like a blog or a Twitter thread. And I, I, I have noticed that it is, it is not 100% correct. Like it has some like. Oh, yeah. I read financial of, articles. Like, errors and the facts, you know. I like, read financial articles every day that I'm like, this is fucking AI drivel. And it's got it, it's like telling yeah. me about a company that no longer has a dividend and it's telling me it has a 6% dividend. And I'm like, it's right. just wrong. It's outdated information. It's, it's like, there's all kinds of problems with this shit. And a lot of it too is like, I don't think that this is like a real, you know, coffin nail in in the industry, like I was kind of saying before, it's just like, you still need the skills to get your shit across the finish line. Cause the rotoscope's going to suck when you're shooting a person against a crowd, it won't be able to do it or it'll right. be choppy and shitty. And you still need the skills to go clean it up. The mocap was going to get fucked when the character leaves frame and comes back in and shit's not going to line up. And like, there's, there's all these little things that are going to fuck it up and it'll right. get you 90% of the way there. But if you don't have the skills to take it across the finish line, you're going to be fucked. You're going to make all these concessions where you make a whole film where everything's shot against flat, you know, walls and blue skies because you can't, your software can't deal with it and you don't have the skills to fix it if it fucks up. So I think there's still going to, you're like, you still need all the knowledge of how to do things the old fashioned way or clean things up to get stuff across the finish line. Just like with the chat GPT, use it and you get a cool script and maybe 10% of it's usable, but you still need to have a good, you know, writing style and something to get it across the finish line and make right. it make sense. Cause I saw some YouTube video where like, we, we got ChatGP to write a script and then we told it how, or we asked it how to storyboard it and they just like offloaded all the creative stuff to this thing and it just sucked. I was just like, yeah, you made a shitty fucking movie. Great. But yeah, you I did, did it. I did the same thing. I, uh, I tried to, I tried to get ChatGPT to write me a little, uh, like a short film, animated film. Um, and then I tried to use mid journey to write the story, to make the storyboards. And it was terrible. Yeah. Like it was shitty. <laughs> I, I was telling it was. I was like, I played with it for an entire day. It was like really bad weather one day. I was out here on a Saturday. <laughs> like I spent all day doing it. And at the end of the day, I was like, I looked at her and I was like, this sucks. <laughs> but also I see, I see a lot of artists. I see a lot of artists putting the cart before the horse. They're like, I went on mid journey and got it to do the fun part of designing all my characters. And then I went in and did all the fucking grunt work to make it <laughs> animated and the 3d model it and do all these things. I'm like, you just offloaded the fun part that makes you feel a connection with your artwork, the creative part where you make the character like, uh-huh. and then you, you just did all the shitty grunt work. That's what the AI should do. And you should do the fucking cool design thing that came from your head and your brain that makes it your artwork. But people are doing it backwards. They're like, oh, no, I got AI to design it for me. And then I did all the fucking shitty stuff. And I'm like, that is zero fun to me. That, that makes me just, I wouldn't even want to do art if that was the 
if that was the way it was, you know? Yeah. It takes the fun out of it completely. You're just, uh, yeah. yeah, you're just a, you're just a labor. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I don't know, but that'll change too as the technical part gets better. And, you know, I, I kind of want to see where things are going to go with like the movies of it, you know, like AI movies, you know, like they're like getting rid of like actual people, you know, like complete it's already there for like if you um, need an explainer video what's that website i forget what it's called but it's basically a deep fake where you can pick one of 60 characters and pick a voice yeah. and it'll do your like and why do you need that if you're a company that makes like tractor engines and you need to or a forklift operator video that you need to make like an explainer video of how to operate your forklift do you give a shit if it's a human like no we'll just do this that's going to cut out a shitload of jobs. Cause I know so many people who run production companies who make videos like that and where it's like, kind of doesn't matter. Dude, you got to send me that. Cause that's what I want to use to make my uh, rap battles with. I wanna- yeah, totally. <laughs> but you know what? My buddy Einstein tried to make some- versus Galileo or something. Yeah. You know, my like, buddy tried to make, uh, like make comedy videos with it. And and the company yeah. was like, you're using this for, uh, you know, bad purposes. And they kicked them off. And I was like, what they only want you to make serious videos with that tech. <laughs> awesome, man. I'm sure it'll be more widespread later and you can do whatever you want. What do you say to young uh, people, boys, girls that are like coming up that are interested in a career in motion graphics, VFX, um, character, you know, animation. All it's kind of hard for me to say that. Cause honestly, if you look at what I did and like, you know, go run a construction company for 10 years and drop out of art school and start making videos under the moniker smear balls and think, make really off putting <laughs> videos. Like anyone's going to fucking hire you. Like I, on paper, what I did should not work at all. And it's a terrible idea and don't do it. But what always did work for me was like, I would always, I can trace every job I got back to some video that I made for fun, not for other people. Like wow. that, the Conan people uh, or the people who, uh, hired me to make that political satire video. Hired me because of a remix I made of the ladies on the view. I had Barbara Walters, you know, freaking out with a parrot on her shoulder and all these funny things. I made that for fun. I got that job that led to the Conan job that led to me making the chickening for fun, which got me the KFC job. So everything, every kind of big move right. in my career was where I took time off to learn something new for myself and make a project for fun, learning these new software tools. So. Uh. That was my only formula where I was like, I'm going to take a month off and just do some cool new thing that pushes my own limits to make something new. And that always led to some opportunity for me. So I would suggest do that. Yeah, I like that. I like that. that. Well, uh, Nick, man, I appreciate you coming on here and talking to me about your your life and your art, man. Uh, You're you're a really interesting guy, man. And uh, you're on the trajectory you're on, man. You got to lot to do <laughs> i look forward to seeing <laughs> what come up with before we log off these is there anything that you'd like to say about yourself your life your art your process that i didn't ask you about no man i think we kind of covered it i just uh yeah check me out on uh on instagram is kind of where i'm most active if you want to like keep up to what i'm up to Instagram's the best place to keep up with your your most recent stuff yeah, and I always answer my DMs if anybody's got questions about stuff. I'm usually uh, good about taking the time to answer people, so hit nice. me up. You How'd it. you come up with the name Smearballs? I forgot to ask you that. It was a bit of a, probably a joke that just went on too long. It was uh, Smearballs actually started as a blog. It was my buddy Aaron Zimmerman and I, and we just did like this stupid blog where we both wore matching, you know, Lakers jackets from the '80s, and we just like made these dumb videos or green screened ourselves onto infomercials and shit and it kind of then it kind of turned into like maybe four or five of us were posting on this blog and my videos are getting more and more popular but i was i also like you know a lot of the guys kind of petered out and i felt like i was the only one posting on it and i was like kind of like being this slave driver like guys we can turn this into something you know and i was just eventually i was just kind of like eh, i don't want to be the guy pushing the horse up the hill yeah so i was like guys i think i'm just gonna go solo with this you know like yeah, right. the videos are doing well. That's kind of what it's all about. They're spreading. And I, yeah, yeah. so I just kind yeah. of started rolling with it and took took the band solo. And then it just turned into a whole career. So I just kind of stuck with it because no one's going to remember Nick Dambor, but the word smear balls is like, oh, yeah, I know smear balls. You know, it's just like a kind of memorable, <laughs> stupid ass word. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome, man. Well, you made a great name for yourself and uh, definitely in the NFT and crypto art community. And uh, <laughs> it sounds like you're. 
Oh. It worked out. But like I said, on paper, it really shouldn't, but somehow. <laughs> Usually it it's the counterintuitive thing, man. It's always the best <laughs> thing. You know? Like, I, you know, if, if, I, I, if I talk to you about my whole life history, it's the same thing, man. It's like, yeah. I, step, you know, I was always stepping in shit somewhere, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Smear it around. That's it. That's it. Thank you very much for coming on, man. I appreciate your, your time and uh, it's very great talking to you, Nick. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. If I'm in South Carolina sometime, I'll grab my tool belt and give you a hand. (laughs) (laughs) That's right, man. Come on. (laughs) Awesome. Thank you all for listening to another episode of The Ledge with Nick DeBoer, better known as Smearballs. That was a great episode, man. Thank you so much for coming on. If you want to know more about Nick and his art, I'm going to drop a link to his socials in the show notes below. If you enjoy listening to The Ledge, please rate and review me on your podcast platform of choice. I'll see you guys all here next week. Thanks for listening.